there's you can pick something. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. So I'm going to get going because I don't want to be too late. Okay. All right. Are we ready? Thank you for the camera. All right. Here we go. I'm going to take a minute. And when I say a minute, you know that means more than a minute, right? I need to take a little time and I need to explain something to you that is happening, that God is doing in the world. Because it's important to understand what Lake Sam is doing. And this information is not directly correlated to the content of the message. This is its own little manifesto, so to speak. This is the 95 thesis of Kurt Brunk that I'm nailing on the church door. And I'm saying that God is transitioning the world in a way that is significant and that we need to take note of so that we will participate with his transition. Okay? Now, when I say that, let me explain to you what I mean. Who, who in here knows what the word zeitgeist means? Can you name it out? Go ahead. Spirit of the age. Spirit of the time. Okay? It's the way, what that means is, it's the way that people think about things. The way that they process things. The way that they, when, when something happens, the way that they think it ought to happen and it ought to go. Zeitgeist. Okay? It's the spirit of the age. And what happens is, is you can go back all the way throughout history, and most zeitgeists are done by the Lord. And what he does is he changes the way that the world sees everything so that it sees something new and important. See? So that's what he's doing. Now, what's the zeitgeist? We're in the middle of a major transition. Probably, well, the 60s were a pretty big zeitgeist change, okay? This, this one, I think, is as big as that without being as um, flashy. Was that a good word? Okay, that, was, that one was a lot of, but this one is more substantive, honestly, in a real way. In fact, this, the, the zeitgeist of the 60s is the one that's giving way to this one, which is how they work. But here's what I want you to see. For everybody in here, this is a question only for people that are over 40. People that are, that are between 20 and 30, you'll get an option, and then, but only for people over 40. You're going to get your chance. Don't worry. Here's what I want to ask you. Don't raise your hand until I say raise your hand, okay? Because I'm going to ask you a question, then I want you to raise your hand if it's true, okay? I want you to tell me, those of you who are over 40, did you ever even have one grade in your entire academic career, from kindergarten to however far you got in college, did you even have one grade that was dependent solely upon other people? Or was every grade, if you're over 40 years old, was it dependent upon you? Like even if you did happen to be in a class that had a group activity, you were graded on your own participation in the group activity, right? You weren't graded for the group's performance. So that's the question I'm asking. How many people over 40 ever had one grade in their entire academic career that depended upon solely the group's performance? How many people over 40? Raise your hand. We got one, two, three, four, a, a few. Now, those of you who are in your 20s and younger and 30s, I guess you can do this too because it, uh, you guys are in the cusp area of this. But for under, under, okay, now those of you who are under 30 and, like I say, in your 30s, how many of you have had at least one grade that depended upon a group activity where you were graded on the group's performance? How many under 30? Now look at that. Do you see this? Now, in fact, I, I want to show you how big this is. If you're, if you're 30s and, un, well, again, if you, you got to be somewhere in the 30s, so really it's the 20s. If you're in that younger millennial generation, that's the ones that were born around the millennium, is there anybody in here who has ever, 
how do I say this in the triple negative? Uh, I got to spin it around so that it's more simple. Well, yeah, but, but here's what I'm trying to say. Is there anybody in here that's in their 20s or younger that has not had that experience where your grade depended upon somebody else, a group? Do you see that? There's not one hand that went up. You know what that means? Every single person that's part of this shift in educational theory, every single one. In fact, the truth is you can't hardly get through a year without having at least one. You can't hardly get through a semester anymore without having at least one of your grades be dependent upon the group performance. Now let me say something. That may sound unfair to those of us in our 40s and above. But let me say something. In life, that's a lot more accurate to how we're judged. When your company goes down, you don't get an A and the company gets the F. You lose your job because you didn't perform in the company in a way. And it may not have been your fault, but you still are out of a paycheck. So it's much more like life. But I want you to go, I want to go a little deeper here and just explore this for a second. If I go to a millennial or one of these ones that are in their 30s that, you know, because it's always a cusp thing. If I go to somebody like that and I, here's what they, here's what they are deeply distrustful of. A few people going into a room, even if they're really smart, a few people going into a room and deciding how things are and then coming out and telling everybody how they are and getting everybody to be excited about what they think it is. Right? To the millennials. They do not trust the idea that somebody would go off and decide for me what's true. They don't trust that. In fact, if you really get behind it, Here's how millennials really think about any big highfalutin idea. See, in, boomer gener in the boomer life, there were these big principles, peace, love, freedom, how things should be done. And we communicated big principles. And here's what happened to the children of people with big principles. My mom and dad got divorced, and they told me that it was going to be better for me. And I may even have some compassion and understanding for that divorce and so on, but the bottom line was it was painful to me. Your big highfalutin idea hurt me. Not only that, but here's how they feel. You realize that the kids that are growing up, millennials right now, you realize that they are the most targeted, marketed generation that has ever lived in the history of the world. There is incredibly sophisticated science going behind how to influence the way that these kids think. And they know that they're being influenced by it, but here's what happens. Every time you stand and you talk about grand highfalutin ideas, they're naturally cynical. They're naturally protective because they're being marketed all the time. And your highfalutin idea sounds like you're just trying to get me to do something. And I don't know if I agree with it or not. I may actually agree with it. I may actually get involved with it. But even if I do, because I wasn't involved in the evolution of it, because I wasn't involved in the birth and the iterations and the changes, if you want me in, I'm, not, I'm always going to be reserving because I don't really understand the depths and the breadth of what it is that you're talking about, your highfalutin idea. Here's what a millennial wants. They do not think that they know everything. To the opposite, more than any other generation of our lifetimes, they believe they don't have the answer. And that what they have to do is get together with a whole bunch of other people and figure out what the answer is. In fact, what they believe they have to do is get together with everybody and start figuring out. Ask the questions first. Don't come to me with the question answered and set me up. Come to me with a thought about something and start asking the questions and let us generate this thing together. 
Now, I'm saying this, and there's a whole lot of 50-year-olds that are starting to nod their head and go, I get that. That's what a zeitgeist is. See, it started in millennials for all kinds of reasons, but a zeitgeist is when it starts to go to all generations, whether they were part of that or not. See, and we all, when I start talking about what do you trust most, when we hear about being involved in something where there's an honest question, there's an honest problem, and there's an honest question, and there's an honest attempt to find it, and people start going after it, what happens? We all get more ownership in it, don't we? Don't we? Now, I want you to think about this. That's exactly how God works with us. Here's what he doesn't do. People have read the Bible like this for years, and they're wrong to do so. God didn't go into some room and figure out what it was like and come back and tell us how it was. That may sound funny to some people, but think about it. Here's what he actually did. What he did was, is he told everybody basically the idea, and then he let it, the Bible is filled with stories of how that worked out in people's lives. And then here's what he does with us personally. He shows us those stories, he shows us those principles, but then he says, now let's go for a walk. Let's go on a journey. Oh, you want to choose that? That's not a good choice, but we're going to go down that road together because I want you to see what happens when you go down that road as your story is evolving. See what he's doing? He's involved in every part of our growth, even when we make the bad decisions. He's helping us to come to understand what was wrong with them, and he's moving us back in. So what he's doing is the same thing the millennials are asking for, which is, I want to be involved in the evolution of this idea, the iterations. I want to be involved in the adjustments that are made. Now, here's another thing. That's on a very personal level, but here's another thing that is key to understanding this millennial zeitgeist that's coming in, and that's this. They do not believe that any one culture group can have the answer. See, they're so multi they're so oriented to other orientations that you know, a bunch of us that look the same and feel the same and act the same can get together and have an idea and they know that there's something wrong with that idea that another person from another culture from another bent from another perspective would come in and they would say something that would make us go we thought we had the truth but we don't we needed that other perspective see millennials are going yeah that's true we know that somebody's going to say something the other stuff they may say may not be true but we're going to listen to what they have to say because it's possible that we're going to get a better course correction, a better new iteration, a better journey if we will stay open to what everybody says. Do you see it? Now, taking this to the church. Uh, by, by the way, that's what the Holy Spirit does with us too, right? He tells us get in community, get in small groups, get in a place, get in threefolds, get in a place where people can talk to you about stuff. You're all alone, that's bad. It is not good that man is alone. That's what God said in the garden. You put them together, you hear different perspectives, you stay open, you stay humble, you stay teachable. God can teach you and grow you, and now you're growing in a good way. Now, I've told you before that last year, about this time, there was a district convention in Spokane. A guy from a place called Post Holes, Idaho, which probably has maybe 9,000 people total, and this guy has a church of 9,000 people. Post Falls, Idaho. And he walked into a group of pastors. And here's what he said to them. You do realize that you're the only institution left in the Western world that thinks that people learn from somebody talking. There is value in didactic teaching. If a professor doesn't get up there and tell you about the subject material, then you have not 
you, you do not have the basics that you need. You can't just start a conversation. You know, you want to start from somewhere. So the professor comes up in a modern classroom. In the old classroom, what did they do? They stood up there and they talked for an hour or however long the lecture period was, and you took notes, and then you took a test to see whether or not you could reiterate what they said. Now what do you do? The professor talks, he lays down what we're going to talk about, and then what happens? Discussion. Perspective. That's how people learn. All the educational resources telling us that's how people learn much more when they have skin in the game. When we're passive, just receiving, we can get some of it, particularly new stuff. Didactic is good for new stuff. But for people who have become mature, who are trying to get the nuances of a thing, who are trying to really wrestle with it, the community is a much better place and way of learning than is somebody talking to you from their limited perspective. See it? Now I want you to understand something. That's what the church is supposed to be. Because that's how God did it in the beginning. You do know that the church is an outgrowth of the synagogue. The synagogue is a, is a gathering of Jewish believers. And what would happen in the synagogue, in fact, what happened in the story in Luke where we are right now today is this. Jesus did what he did, and then he comes in the synagogue, he opens the scroll, he reads from the scroll, and that's the way a synagogue starts, right? The message part of it. it. You read from the scroll, the word, and then Jesus propounded on it. Now, he didn't propound very long. He just said it's fulfilled to this day. But somebody says something about it, usually the rabbi, right? And the rabbi will make some comments about that scripture. And then what happens? They talk. Do you remember Paul at one time saying, and we're not talking about women in ministry, and we have women teaching here all the time, so, and if you don't believe that that's biblical, talk to me and I'll show you how it is. But, and, I'm not, and I don't do fake, there's simplistic ways of understanding women in ministry that are bad. But there's a solid reason for doing it, and that's the reason that we do it, if you want to know that. But I'm not about this, but do you remember when Paul said, I do not permit a woman to speak? That's because people spoke. Because when the guy was teaching, people were asking questions. It wasn't 3,000 people where you couldn't do it. It was a room like this, even smaller, frankly, where what would happen is an idea would be presented, and then people would say, well, what about this? And what about that? And so-and-so says this, and such-and-such -such says that. And the community having skin in the game, participating in the discussion, letting their own ideas go out into the communal place would learn much more than if the rabbi would have sat there and just talked. When Paul was going into new areas, and they'd never heard the gospel, he had to talk a lot. He talked so long, one time somebody fell asleep and died. I have never done that, thank you God. I did talk, I did have a guy die after a sermon, so maybe I have done that, but, and he came back too, so that's good. But, but do you see where we're going here? When you get to a certain level of maturity, when you're really trying to work something out, you don't need to hear yet one more sermon on it. What you need to do is start wrestling with what is going on with this together so that we can make it real. Do you see that? Now, what I'm saying is, is that there's a zeitgeist that's happening, and it's collaboration. That's not a word that millennials would like because it just feels fake. But the bottom line is what they understand is, is it's together. It's everybody in community contributing, and that's how we grow. That's how we learn. That's how God is able to do the work that he does in this. And I want to tell you that everything about Lake Sam is coming out of this principle. We are catching this 
front edge of this zeitgeist change, and from steering teams to every other part of our church, this is precisely what we're doing. We're not telling people what to do. We're getting them together, and we're saying, here's what the problems are. Figure out what to do together. Work on it. Have the politics. Do all the things. But, but be, become a people that is working through something together so that God can grow you all and grow us through it. That's what we're doing. But understand something. We're not just doing it in things like steering teams and ministry teams. We're doing it in worship. We've asked worship to find a way of making worship more interactive. And we're going to be doing that. You're going to see it in the future. And not only that, but you'll see me doing things. I did it inelegantly last week. I'm sorry. But you're going to see me doing things in the sermons where I'm trying to participate. I'm trying to get participation. I'm trying to get some sort of communal thing taking place. Now, some of you are going to say, I don't like that. But here's what I'm asking for, Grace. I'm asking, I think if I'm wrong about what the principle is, then challenge me and I'll change if you're right. I will. But if I'm right about the principle, then understand that God may be asking you for something more than what you become comfortable with, which is essentially a passive experience on Sunday morning. If I'm right, and what God is trying to do is to have you contributing and participating, I want to challenge you with this thought. If you don't participate, we lose. Because we didn't get that perspective. Do you see it? If you do participate, then we all grow more because you said something that sparked, at least in a few, and maybe the whole group, to take us to the deeper, fuller, richer, more true place that God's trying to take us. It's a more godly way of doing church. So that's what we're trying to find. I need grace. We're going to experiment. We're going to try a few things, okay? And what I'm asking for is, is you've already seen much of what we're going to do. I don't have any other five flute. And some people are going, oh my God, he's going to do everything upside down again. I don't have any other plans in my mind whatsoever. Okay? Honestly. All I'm doing right now is, is I'm trying to make the case philosophically for you to participate. Be a part. Get some skin in the game. Contribute. Because it's going to make a difference. So with that long introduction, we're now going to go into a short sermon and a discussion. Okay? It's not that short, so I gotta keep, keep moving, okay? All right, who's praying for us? Kirk Jackson, oh, awesome. Lord, thank you for allowing us to come together today and to be in your presence, Lord, and to come together to the same table and to find solutions, Lord, and not to be complacent, but to do your work, Amen. Lord. And I pray that we be discerning in what we say, that we think before we speak, but Lord, that when we hear it's you pushing us to speak, that we speak, Amen. Lord, and we do not shrink back. Uh, Lord, and I also want to lift up Lighthouse Church in Lake Hills um, and that you just anoint everyone there this morning to, to also be unified, Lord, and that churches come together, Lord, um, and build each other up. Amen. Is that Joe's church? Is that Lighthouse? Is that Joe's? Joe Yashara? Yeah, I love that guy. Okay. All right, so where we are is, uh, you know, empowered series and this idea that the Holy Spirit comes upon us and moves through us. And what we're trying to do in a communal way is we're trying to deal with right now, the part that we're at is, is this gap between when Jesus says, not only will you do the same works, miracles that I do, but more, greater than these will you do. And what we're doing is we're saying it's clear that God could be doing more through us. Why isn't it happening? And we're trying to get to that. And when we do that, what I want you to understand is 
you do understand that when you read a text, there's more than one way to read a text, right? I don't mean a text message, I mean a work, a letter like, or a, a gospel like Luke, okay? We could be reading Luke for just as the story of Jesus Christ, and that's a great story, and there's so many sermons to be done out of it and have been done for years, right? But we're reading Luke for a specific reason, and here's the reason. I'm telling you that God in Luke has laid out in very systematic fashion how to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now watch. In the very beginning, what's the, what's, the, what's the book start with? Jesus Christ is born of the Holy Spirit. You and I have to be born of the Holy Spirit. Just being born of the Holy Spirit though is not be moving in his power. We need to come to a place to where just as the baptism on Jesus was, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and now the Holy Spirit empowers us so that God can do his work through us and that's the baptism, right? So too we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then, because that can be a dangerous thing, as we have seen in some of the crazy evangelists out there, because that can be a dangerous thing, as the Bible also points out, God puts people through a time of wilderness. That's a time when you learn to become utterly dependent upon God and God alone. Extremely important, so that, you, so that everything you do will be operating in his power in a way that is consistent with him and his heart, right? It's manifesting him. Okay? See this? So he's laying out the case. So he goes into the wilderness. Now watch what he does. He comes back from wilderness, full of the power, and then he, Luke takes the time. No, God takes the time to highlight that Jesus underlines and puts a big neon sign and a big yellow marker through Jesus picking up the scroll and saying, the way that I'm about to do everything that I'm about to do is that I have been anointed to do it. He picks up the scroll and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I have been anointed to preach the gospel, to make the lame to walk, to make the blind to see, to make the dumb to talk. I have been anointed to set captives free. See what he's doing? Big highlighter. You've got to be anointed. That's how it happens. It's God through you, not you. God through you. Now, we get to the place in Luke where we're going to see two next steps that are critical, and this is the order of importance of them. I'll make that case as we go. But I want you to see, here's the first one. Jesus does this scroll, reads the scroll, and says, this day it's fulfilled here. And then they have a discussion. And people say, how can it be? This is just Jesus, but they're gracious words, and it sounds cool, and maybe, and so on. And then here's what Jesus says in response to what they're saying. Because this is really inflammatory. He said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, no prophet's accepted in his hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in the land in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow, a widow, a Zephyrath in the land of Sidon. Now understand, if make yourself a Jewish congregation right now in Jesus' time hearing this. Here's how you're sitting here. You're sitting here thinking, I am the chosen, we are the chosen people of God. We're the people that God comes to. We're the people that God's going to speak through. We're his instruments for his will, right? That's how they think. Now here's what the story that he just told them says. 
The chosen people of God made choices that so brought them out from underneath his protective umbrella that they were in famine. They were in drought. Think of that metaphorically. What's that mean? There was no God in their life because they'd removed themselves from God. There was no water, life, in what they were doing. So they were drying up, and God metaphorically and real was in drought. They were in famine, and people were dying. And then God, to really highlight... I could have healed you, but it was your choice to be away from me. I did heal the widow that was willing to help my prophet. She, I kept alive with this miraculous food. You see it? So here's what he's saying to this congregation. You guys are like the Israelites when they had went away from God, and God is not actually going to do miracles for you. You're the ones that are going to die. Now, that would make you kind of mad, wouldn't it? That's what he says right here, that the many lepers in Israel at the time of Elijah, only one Assyrian. I hated Assyrian, for heaven's sakes. Now watch. They get so mad that they're furious. They jump up, they mob him, they force him to the edge of the hill which Thomas built. They intend to push him over the cliff. I mean, they're mad. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're telling us that we're under judgment, which they are, but they're refusing to believe. So they want to kill him. I want you to understand something. In the end time, there's going to be people who have done miracles. We're talking about doing miracles here, right? There's going to be people who have done miracles. And here's what Jesus says to them. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Cast out demons in your name. And perform many miracles in your name. But Jesus will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. Here's what God is saying is the fundamental first thing that we have to understand about moving in his power. It's about a relationship and an intimacy with him. It's being in a love relationship with him where your desire is to do his will. We call it obedience, and we're so Americanized that obedience has a somewhat negative term connotation to it right we can't even hardly say it without people saying you're being legalistic what we're talking about to make it clear what we're talking about is so loving God that you want to do his will because you know that his will is greater than anything you could understand and the things that he leads you to do are the things of life and goodness and godliness and they're the things of health and help and help you see it that's what he's saying that's when you know him and he's putting this big underline right at the very beginning of this ministry as Jesus, as God himself is laying out how do you enter in to my power properly and exhibit it properly. And first and foremost, it is not about the miracles. Here are people that are doing miracles and getting it all wrong. See it? He's saying you've got to get the first thing right. The first thing is the critical thing. Now, let me ask you, what's second? What would you say? Just, just say it out. What would be second? This is the participation part a little bit. <laughs> what would be, well, love is good, but, but keep going. What would be another one? What would you say is second most important to move in power? Loving people, I think that's an excellent one. Anointing, but we're already kind of talking about that. 
Can I say something? What about faith? Somebody just said it. Faith. Isn't that kind of, if you were trying to teach, if you were doing a class, what's the first principle I've got to teach him? Intimacy. To the point that your desire is to do his will. Not to fight him on it, but want to do what he wants done. See? Love. What's second if you were doing your syllabus? You got to have faith. Right? Isn't that what you would think? Something close to that? Well, let me show you because he doesn't actually go there. And I want to tell you, this is the thing I think that is the most missing part in why we're not manifesting his will, why we're not being his very expression in the world. Where does God go second? What's the second important principle? Oh, by the way, passed right through, I shouldn't even do it for time. He passed right through the crowd and went on his way. You know, they're about to kill him. You know, if, if, if this were a different kind of sermon series and we were looking at the book in a different way, can I just tell you that's the most, that's the most poignant little scripture right there? Because do remember, at the very beginning of his ministry, there's a crowd that wants to kill him. And he's totally in control. To the point that even though they're going to want to push him off a cliff, he can walk right through them. And at the end of his life, he could have done the exact same thing. And he chooses not to. He chooses to allow them to kill him was in his control all along, and he's establishing that right here. Cool, huh? But that's a little, that's a freebie, okay? <laughs> then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. There, too, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with, you're doing a threefold, you're doing a soap, authority. There's the speed bump. He spoke with authority. What the heck does that mean? What is that? What does that mean he spoke with authority? Well, right here, I want to tell you what it means in terms of what they're saying. Here's what they're saying. Here's the way a rabbi taught. We read the scroll, and then we say, well, Rabbi so-and-so back in such and such a time said so-and-so. And Rabbi such-and-such said in such and such a time such-and-such. And, such. and you see what I mean? And what they do is they appeal to other authorities. This is so strong that today, <clears throat> or yesterday, if you're in a synagogue, the Bible that you're reading from, excuse me, the Bible that you're reading from looks like this. Okay, now there is the Torah, the, and, and this stuff gets pretty confusing because of the way they use words in different ways. But technically, Torah is first five books, and first five books are just the word. But I want you to see what the history writings, you know, Chronicles and Kings and all that, and the prophets and the poetry, that's all put in another category, and when they do that, you see this whole middle section here? See that central square? That's the part that we would call the Bible, the stuff God wrote. But all this stuff around it is, this is Rabbi so-and-so in such and such a date, Rabbi so-and-so here, and Rabbi so-and-so here, and this is a, quite of a late rabbi right here that, that in the 1700s who actually wrote into here and so on. And if you go and you go to a Jewish bookstore, you go to a thing and people are opening their Bibles, so to speak, that's not what they call it, Okay, Talmud is more the proper word for it. But bottom line, you open it and you read out of it. This is what you're looking at. Now look what's happening here. Yeah, the Word of God is its own thing, but the tradition is very important too. This is the same thing the Catholic Church does. Okay, the Bible says this, but our tradition says this, and they're both important. See what I mean? And they mix them. And that's the same way that they would teach in the synagogues. They didn't say God says this, what they said was, so-and-so says this, appealing to another authority. 
What did Jesus do? This is how God is, and this is what he says. <laughs> and they say people don't talk like that. <laughs> He's speaking with authority. But now watch. It's easy to speak with authority. I can go down to Venice Beach right now and show you four or five people that are completely loony and are speaking with great authority. They don't have any actual authority. How can you tell? Because nothing they say happens. But what if that you're in the synagogue and a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, begins shouting at Jesus, go away while you're referring with us, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God, says the demon. Jesus cuts him short. That's another sermon. I can't do it. I'm just going to, I don't want to take the time why he does that. But be quiet. Come out of the man. Let me say one thing. Uh, Jesus will only get his testimony from God. He won't get his testimony from a demon, okay? But, but that's only part of it. At that, the demon threw the man on the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. Amazed that people explained what authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him and they flee at his command. The news about Jesus spreads everywhere. And what we're talking about is authority and power. And that word power there is the Greek word dunamis from which we get dynamite. And what are they, what are they saying? He didn't just speak as if he knew what was going on. He then commanded, I won't look at you because that's not fair, but empty chair. He then commanded a demon to come out of somebody and it did. Now that's authority. That's the manifestation of it, right? I mean, the other thing, maybe he was right, maybe he was wrong, but that, something's happening there. That gives credence to his words. Do you see it? Can I say something? The things that God wants to do through you is because he wants to give credence to his words, to who he is, to his heart. See, when we think of healing, here's how we think of it. You're sick. I feel so bad for you. I want you to be well. Now, that may, in, in fact, be what God wants to do with them. But there could also be a Job going on or one of another hundred other thousand million cases of something going on. And what God wants you to do first is figure out what he wants you to do so that the thing that you do is his expression of his will so that his plan, character, nature, personhood is revealed through it. See, now what? I've just, I've just done something right here. I've just told you that miracles are about something very different than actually healing people. You see it? Okay. Now, after leaving the synagogue that day, now watch this. This is the same authority being manifested. It's being spoken about differently, but it's the same authority. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus goes into Simon's home where he finds Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he... What does that sound? Authority. He rebuked it. Told the fever, leave. And what did it do? It left, just like the demon did. Do you see it? Here's what God's doing. First and foremost, understand, it's about intimate love relationship. That'll keep you right. That'll get you right. You need to be tested in it so that you can be refined. But bottom line, let's roll into, once you're in that place, you've got to understand something. You have authority. Now, we understand that Jesus had authority, but, but we need to ask this question, why? Did he have authority because he was God? 
This is probably going to be the verse I'm going to say over and over and over to the point that you're dreaming it in your dreams and, you know, spelling it with your alphabets in your cereal. Okay? Did he do it because he was God? No. Because as we keep saying from Philippians, he had equal status with God. Paraphrase. He was God. He was God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of being God. Instead, he humbled himself. He laid stuff down. What did he lay down? When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became truly human. See it? He didn't do what he did because he was God. That's just one scripture I could do more. We've done more, so if, you, you know, if that's not enough for you, call me and we'll talk. Okay? But the bottom line is I want you to understand what he did. He did as a man. Why? Because he was trying to show us how to do it. What Jesus did, he's saying we're supposed to do. And he's showing us how to do it. First, be in relationship with God. Have it be about love to where your desires are his. His desires are yours. See? And then understand that when you're in him, you have authority. You have been given it. Jesus says it this way at the end of his life about himself. He came and told his disciples, I have been given, say it, all authority. See? On, in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach new disciples to obey all these commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even in any age. Why does he end with that comment? I'll be with you. Because here's what he didn't say in that. That you've been given all authority. We're going to see that he gave us a whole lot more than any of us get. But here's what he doesn't say. That you have been given all authority. You have not. Why? Because we're fallible. You just, just you, you know, use me. Would you want me to have all authority? Would you? Because that would be bad. Because I would do things with it that wouldn't, shouldn't be done. You understand? Jesus was completely, and it was the course of his life that demonstrated it even unto his death. It's after he dies that he says, I've been given all authority. Now, he's God. So he already had all authority, but he emptied it, and he earned it back by his loving relationship with God and doing it perfectly. And then God says, now that you've, I've shown, you've got all authority. Now, again, I want to say, then what does he do? He, first of all, he says, I'm going to be with you, which means we, we don't have all authority, but we have him who does. So anything he wants us to do, we should be able to do. From moving a mountain, to walking on water, to multiplying bread, to healing people, delivering people, whatever it is, right? He says to us disciples at one point, doesn't he? If you had faith even as a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it'd be done. We don't do that stuff, do we? Do we? We don't do that stuff. He did that stuff. And he said we would do greater stuff than that stuff. So we're supposed to be doing that stuff. It's not just for landscaping. There's a purpose and a plan behind it. Watch this. He says to the disciples when he sends them out, but when he's, before he's died, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Now, what does that mean? It means you have all authority over the power of the enemy. 
Pretty, this is really complicated stuff. Okay, I'm telling you, if you don't have a doctor, you can't possibly understand what he means by that. Except that maybe what he means is you have authority over all the power of the enemy. So you win. Okay? Now, he says it this way another time to them. And he's not just talking to them. He's telling them a story which they're going to write down, which is supposed to speak to us. How are we supposed to act when Jesus is gone? See, this is not to the disciples, because Jesus was there. He's telling us, when I'm not there, how are you to act? Be alert. You don't know when the time is coming. Look, here's what's going on. I'm going to tell it in a parable, but this is what's going on. I'm going away on a journey. I left my house, and I gave authority to you, my slaves. I give authorities to you to do my work, and I command you to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when I'm coming back. You see what he's telling us? He's saying, I've given you authority to do anything that you needed to do. The stuff I need you to do, I've given you authority to do. Jesus says to them again, this is Jesus died, resurrected. They're locked in the room because they're afraid of the Jews. Jesus shows up in the midst of them. He says to them, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. How did the Father send them? How did the Father send Jesus? He born him of the Holy Spirit. Then he empowered him with the Holy Spirit. And that's how he sent him, right? So what's he doing with us? He's borning us of the Holy Spirit. He said this. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Born again. Okay? But now look at this. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Did anybody in here tell me, when was the last time that it crossed your mind that you had the authority to forgive someone's sins? Anybody? Ever? It's a mistake. Do you see it right here at the very beginning? When he first, now I want you to see something here. They're not baptized in the Holy Spirit yet, are they? That doesn't happen until Pentecost 50 days later. Do you understand? On the day that he borns them again, he says, now, because you've been born of the Holy Spirit, because you have this relationship with God, you have authority to forgive sins. You want to see how deeply this goes? Watch this. Young, this is my favorite healing story. This is the, the, the house. It's so crowded. These guys are carrying in their friend on a cot, essentially on a, what, what do you call them? Stretcher, sure, okay. So on a stretcher is another word I think. But anyway, young man, your sins are, they cut the hole in the roof and they lay him down. Now what Jesus should have said was, you're healed. Looking on their faith, he said, you're healed. But what he says is he looks at their faith, all of them, and what he says is your sins are forgiven you. Now, this just throws the religious people into a hissy fit, <laughs> right? I mean, what they say is, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Anybody can say that. The people down at Venice Beach can say your sins are forgiven. I can say your sins are forgiven. doesn't mean it's true. How do we know? But let me just prove it to you. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has... On earth to forgive sins, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, authority on earth to forgive sins. This is Jesus saying, I have authority on earth to forgive sins. Does that sound like something we just read? 
Because in John, he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. This whole thing about authority is a lot bigger than what we understand. What we're worried about is whether or not they're going to get healed, and I'm going to look embarrassed if they don't get healed. What God's worried about is that there's a plan of salvation that is working out. And are you the instrument of his to work out that plan of salvation for them, for the culture, for the community, for everything? Do you see it? That's where our concern ought to be. It's okay to have compassion. Jesus said, filled with compassion, he healed them all. It's okay for you to burn, this gut turning. It's okay for you to be filled with the same compassion and want the right thing for them. But you don't know what the right thing is. So what you do is you go to the Lord and you ask him. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, you're the Messiah, son of the living God, Jesus. Simon, son of Barjona, you're blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father in heaven, I say to you that you are Peter, a boulder, which is kind of a nice thing for Peter to hear because he's not been a boulder up until now, has he? Before he gets born again, this guy's all over the map. And he's saying to Peter, Mr. All Over the Map, I'm going to make you a boulder. But I tell you upon this huger thing, which is this different word that's being used, Upon this huger thing, what's the huger thing? I'm God. And I'm with you. And that's how I'm going to build my church. And the forces of hell will not prevail against it. Hades will not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys. Listen to this. Does this sound like that forgiving of sins and so on, but even in a bigger arena? I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Do you see it? Peter goes on and does exactly this. This is after Jesus has died. I don't have silver or gold for you, but what I do, I'll give you what I've got. In the name of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. What does it mean to stand in authority? This is the way one guy says it. And I want to say, I think everything he's saying is absolutely true. And yet there's something about the way that he's saying it that makes me think he's missing it that he doesn't really understand what authority is. Because here's what I think he thinks authority is. And I, I could be totally wrong. The guy's probably a wonderful person, right? But I think he thinks what authority is is speaking really clearly and loudly and with strength of character or something like that. Because what he says is authority doesn't beg. Authority doesn't ask. Authority commands. We are, told not to, we are not told to ask God to cast out demons. And by the way, he, he has an excellent point. He says, all the time I see Christians pleading with God to heal somebody not standing in their authority to pronounce them healed. See, and I think he's absolutely right on that point, which is why I read it. We are not told to beg demons to come out. We're told to cast them out. See that? We're told to do the work. Understand what the work is and then do it. Understanding that you have authority behind you. Here's the problem. What is authority? Authority comes from relationship, not identity. My son can know that he's my son, and that doesn't mean I give him the visa. As he understands my priorities, heart, and goals, I can release my resources to him. And I think this guy's absolutely right about where we're going, where God's trying to take us. Relationship grows from intimacy. We will see more healing because, I'm paraphrasing, we will see more intimacy with the healer. As we see more intimacy with the healer, we'll see more healing. The cloud has moved from personal stuff to God building his kingdom. That's where he's trying to take us. 
When we talk about authority, and we're just about, I want you to start thinking about this. You're going to get a question in two seconds, and we're going to have a short conversation. It's only going to be about 10 minutes, sorry, but, but I, I want this communal thing to happen. But watch this. Here's what we usually think of. We think of this. We're an ambassador. Can I say that's so weak? We're not an ambassador. We're being conformed into his image. Who we're to be is we're to be the express manifestation of Christ in the world. He has gone and he has conformed us to his image that we would be him. Now, we don't have all authority. So we understand that ultimately it's right, worship and all. But what we are supposed to be is we're supposed to be standing up as he did. He showed us how to do it. Intimacy and then understand your authority and move in that authority so that God can be seen because Jesus said this, when you see me, you see the Father. When people see us, do they see Christ or the Father? Hopefully a little bit. But what God is trying to do is he's not making us ambassadors. He's making us his very extension, oneness. He's making us be the very manifestation of God's heart, mind, will, soul, character, personhood in the world. That's what authority is. Being who he's made us to be in him. And here's what I want to tell you. I've preached this sermon before. And then I've told you illustrations to try and get you fired up about what it was to stand in authority and all this kind of stuff. And here's what I want to tell you. We're not there yet, and I need my community. I need us to come right now, and I need us to just take a couple of minutes, and I need us to talk about what does it mean to stand in his authority. In fact, the three questions that I want us to just kind of be bouncing around, faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. But here's the three questions. What does it mean to stand in this authority? What does it mean? I can talk about you're supposed to stand in authority, but what are you going to do when you walk out the door? Are you going to talk loud or real clearly or more forcefully? Is that what you're going to do? Is that what setting his authority means? Well, if it doesn't mean that, then what does it mean? See, how do we actually do that? What does it look like, feel like? How can we actually minister from a place of authority? How can we do that? Has anyone done this? If so, tell us, right? We want to learn from you because just as we learn from Christ's examples, we learn from each other's. So, so like I say, um, pray for me on this stuff, but we're going to start with Babette. Do we have two people? Just go ahead and pop up, guys. I don't want to hear. Thank you, Kirk. Kirk, kind of move right into the middle so that people, that, yeah, thanks. The guys are going to hold on to the microphones oh, for all the obvious reasons, okay? Could we just be real about the fact that these things can spin out of control and we're trying to, you know, do well? Go ahead. Okay, I think it might help to um, tell about a time I've stood in authority and how we do it and it would lead to how we do it and then what does that mean? So can I kind of go backwards? Yes, and would you just... And I'll try to be quick. Thank you. So... Um, I, I just have to say, I'm the longest-winded SOB on the face of the earth, so I am so sorry for asking you guys to be succinct. Okay, I apologize. Okay, I literally did this sermon. It was 22 minutes at home. It was 45 minutes here. I don't know. Okay, yeah. My turn now? Oh, okay. Yes, your turn. <laughs> so I, I was actually asked to the Lord to fast for two weeks because the pastor of a church I was attending was going, and this is the Lord talking to me, was going to call me because 
a um, exercise sex session of a demon kind of thing was going to go awry. He says, be prepared because he's going to call you to come in and pray. So I tell Ed, my girls are little at the time. I said, Ed, this is going to happen. He's like, oh, okay, honey. Um, <laughs> so two weeks later, it happened. They called. And they, there were six people, um, all the elders of the church and the pastor was there, who had held this woman down for over 24 hours, probably closer to 48 and so on the way there, God just begins to speak to me and tell me exactly what to do. And so um, once I got there, she was delivered. There was a session of about two hours where I had just words of knowledge that I cannot explain. But at one time she said, F. Babette, do you know everything about me? And I'm like, no, but I know who does. Um, and so she was delivered. I danced a little. It was great. Um, <laughs> but the point is, later they walked away and says, well, why couldn't we do that? What, what, was, what was going on there? And I didn't have an answer for them. But what I do know is it's obedience. It's just listening to his voice and hearing his voice. And when you are intimate with him and you know him and you fear the the repercussions of disobedience in your life more than you fear what other people think of you, you act. And I think that what we have to do is talk, this conversation is really good, but the next conversation is about how do we deal with that spirit of legalism or the, the thorn of legalism that I, I rises say, up. I want to say before we go there, I agree with you. I think we're going to be going there over the coming months. So yeah. if I could, I want to say you, you said... Because that very, kills it. That's, I agree. That kills this from happening. I agree. And I think you said something really important, though. You know there's a marginal reading that says, why couldn't we cast them out? And then there's what's called a marginal reading. It means it came in later, and I don't believe that it was Mark that originally wrote this. It was somebody was added sometime later. And they said, this one only comes out by prayer and fasting. And so because it's a marginal reading, we dismiss it. But here's what I want to say. What's fasting about? It's about saying no to the things of the world that you might be filled with the things of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And she said that she fasted and prayed for two weeks before that. And I have to say, I would make a connection between it without going into legalism. That that's the only way to do it. You see what I mean? But God called her to do something. God called her to be emptied so that she could be filled. Okay? So are you good? I'm good. I just think that... Um there is a, um, a, a, a caution that I would proffer that as you stand in authority and walk in obedience, there's a um, host of other things that you need to be aware of or yeah. you will get. Yeah, authority in its own self is, you're right, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. What's more powerful than the Holy Spirit? You know, that's exactly why he doesn't give us all authority. What he does instead is say, I want you to be in obedience. And then I can move through you in authority. Because when you're in obedience, you're submitted. Go ahead. Is there somebody over here? Go ahead. Raise your hands. I know we're not going to take too much longer. Go ahead, John. Thanks, Kurt. Huh. If Jesus said that, and I believe he did, uh, the reason... That applied to him is because his prayer and fasting vault was already full. Yeah, amen. 
No question about that. I, I, I really want to get to this question here, and so hopefully, I want to get, what does it feel like? So, because what I want is, I'm going to ask everybody to go find somebody to pray for this week, and to stand in authority. And then, go ahead. And I'd like them, well, let's, okay. Well, I, uh, okay, go ahead. I just have it in my heart. Can I wait one second, Wenda? I want to do Greg, and then I'll come right back to you, Wenda, okay? All right? I just, okay, thanks. Probably the, um, in the few times where I've actually seen um, Im something immediate or something, um, something where the Lord was, um, I, I kind of stood back in awe, was when I, somebody would say, pray for them, and I, I'll wait. I'll just wait. I won't just jump in. I'll wait because I want to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. Yeah. And without giving a lot of, of storyline about this, I think that's the, the, the key is to stand and to wait and to pray out as the Lord speaks to you. I, I, I think agree. that's such a key because the chances fa of faith standing. is already there. I mean, faith should already be there. You're asking the Lord, and I agree with Babette, there, there's that, you know, what's, what's going to happen to this person if I, I want to get this right? I want to hear from the yeah. Lord before I pray. The chances of us actually standing in the right place if we wait on the Lord first are better, right? Wenda, go ahead. Sorry about that, Wenda. I just had a feeling. So I'm just trying to be led by the Lord, too. <laughs> I'll try to segue. Well, I think it's a wild about the, for, we have the authority to forgive. Because just yesterday, I'm walking my dog, and um, someone who was holding their dog, the dog got out of its harness and attacked me and my dog. And so, of course, as a musician, I'm thinking, oh, great, as I scoop my dog up, they're going to shred my arms and I'll never play again. And I'm thinking that, you know, while I'm trying to save my dog. And it gets under control. And then the people grab the dogs and they're quiet and they, they don't say a word. And I pray, how do I handle this? And all of a sudden, I was filled and I said, you need to apologize to me if you apologize to me. I will forgive you, but you need to apologize to me. And it took a couple times for them to get it. They kept saying, we told you our dog barks. I said, you did not tell me your dog attacks. So you need to apologize to me, and I will forgive you. And eventually, they said, we are sorry. And I said, I forgive you. And I took my dog, and I yeah. left. And I thought, how arrogant of me. <laughs> But it was, a, uh, I was filled at that point. I, I, there was a point of waiting and saying, how do I handle this? Oh. And it, it did bring closure to both sides. Okay. So. I'm going to have to process that one personally. I need to, because just, Pam, thank you, Delinda, very much. So, um, can I, st can you stand on that side? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, that your better side? Yeah, there we go. No, it's just the... Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't care. It was a joke. It was a joke. It's bad. So, um, as a musician, and I've uh, led worship for, like, deliverance ministries. Some of you are familiar, maybe, we, with Cleansing Stream Ministries, which is like, they'll do a, a weekend retreat where people come forward for prayer for a variety of different aspects. And so, going to number two, how do we actually do it, and what does it look and feel like? And, yes, I have done this. So... As part of the worship team, my responsibility, I really felt, was pretty weighty on several aspects. One, to provide 
that um, spiritual backup for the people that are praying for the people to be delivered. And then the other one is that, that warfare. Heard, what a definition of worship. I've never heard that definition before. I love it. And then that other aspect of worship that is this intercessory, um, the praise and the prayer that breaks the bondages over people's lives. So there's a scripture that talks about perfected praise breaking that, those boundaries. And that's awesome. out of the mouths of infants of babes, he has ordained perfected praise. And so there's this aspect when I'm leading worship at a retreat like that um, where I'm watching what the Lord is doing in the congregation. And um, oftentimes I've teamed up with people that I've never played with before, but I'll be connecting with them behind me, especially on the drums, and relying on the rest of the musicians to also be really sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing in that service because there are things that can happen in worship that basically just really break down those strongholds over people's lives that don't really happen outside of that space because it's, it's like, a, and there's people that have been praying and doing warfare, and several of you are familiar with what that looks like, um, but teaming together as that component. And there's, there's something profound when the drums hit that like warfare beat and people's lives are broken wide open. And you see people freed from a myriad of different things. And I think that that's so an that's, evidence. I think that that's an evidence of standing in the authority, standing in the revelation, standing in that. And I, I, what you just brought out to me was revelation. That, you're, that God has revealed something to you and now you're standing in that place and that itself is kind of standing in that authority. So I, I'm going to do this. Do we have somebody back here? Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. And then we're going to, we're going to, I got an idea. We're going to do something slightly different. Go ahead. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'll just maybe be quick here because what came to my mind to the third question uh, was what happened to me this summer. My dad passed away. And the circumstances, and I think it was very much the Lord, and I had some confirmation from others that the Lord put me in his presence when he died. And as, he, as, he, uh, uh, as I entered his room with the scripture in mind and an intent to pray, uh, led by the Lord, uh, I was praying for him, committing him to the, to the yeah. Lord Jesus Christ as he le uh, breathed his last. And I think that was the Lord. Um, giving me authority uh, over my dad and for his soul at that moment. Wow. I think having that splenitzomai, that heart, is incredibly important. In fact, I'm going to... Uh, we're not, because we're late, we're just going to take an offering. Right? Start preparing your offering. Please don't give, a, don't give less because I don't make a longer appeal. Okay? I really mean that, okay? Uh, this, this congregation is phenomenal. I'm asking you to go to the Lord and ask him what you're supposed to do and be obedient, right? Be faithful, be loving, be in a love relationship with him that pours out in the resources that God needs to equip this community with so that we can do his will. But I don't really want to finish this conversation right now except to say this, and then we're going to open it back up. I want you to think about something for just a second because Chris really hit on it. If you don't stand in the authority, start preparing your offerings too as you're listening. We're going we're gonna to walk and chew gum at the same time here for a sec. If you don't move in your authority, who gets hurt? Who gets hurt? Do you get hurt? If you have authority and you don't walk in your authority, it's yes, but is it really? Do you really get hurt? Because what you do is you miss out on something. 
You may have missed out on seeing God do something that would have increased your faith. You may have missed out on some growth. You may have missed out. But really, yes, you get hurt because you don't grow as much, but it doesn't actually hurt you. But I want to challenge you with something. If you have a moment of authority, as Chris had with his dad, and you don't step into it, who gets hurt? The person to whom he sent you, right? The person that you're supposed to pray for, for salvation, for healing, for a miracle, for his presence, for whatever it is. If you have authority and you don't exercise it, I'm not saying God and his sovereignty can't get to them still. So praise God for that. And by the way, if you have a loved one and, and now you're feeling condemned because you should have stood in authority, don't do that. That's just nonsense. Don't let Satan do something stupid to you, right? You know, don't let him whisper a negative. What we're going after is how to proceed from here. And the way to proceed from here is this. I want you to start thinking about the fact that when you don't stand in authority, that person stands a chance of not being healed, of not having that miracle, of not even being saved. Now, there's some really bad theology in there. But it's still very helpful. Do you see it? It's very helpful to think that I may be that person's one shot. I need to be what I need to be, what he's called me to be. Now, what we're going to do right now is, ushers, would you please come forward? And I, I love your worship team. And by the way, I want to say something. You explaining how you do worship helps me to understand why I love it so much when you do worship. Because I come into God's presence so beautifully and so richly. But guys, go ahead and pass the baskets out. And instead of doing our final song, we're just going to go ahead and so thank you. I just want to catch a couple of more comments while we're doing business, okay? So there was a couple more hands that were up. Go ahead. This is awesome. Oh, thank sorry. you. Thank um, you for speaking. I know that this is not that comfortable for you. Thank you for doing that. Um, so I really liked what you said about how in order to experience more healing, that um, we need to get more intimate with a healer. And what I really liked about that is um, throughout Jesus' time doing his ministry, he had a habit of doing this one specific thing. After he fed the 5,000, it talks about in Matthew yeah. 14, it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up onto the mountain Amen. by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the water. So just that simple yeah. thing of walking the water, and you know, he, he spent that time with he goes, away, he goes away and gets with God. I, I absolutely love that. I think one of the reasons why the big ministers that get into problems get into problems is because they never actually get that truly just them and God time. You know, they, they don't keep their life in balance. It's too much about the external, and you just end up in error with that. Uh, is there somebody on this side? Go ahead, and then we'll come back to that side, and then we'll do two more, and then we're done, okay? So... Um... You said earlier, I think it was one of the commentators, something about you know, the teenagers, you know, hand the visa card over to them. And I have teenagers right now, and they're in an interesting situation of being almost ready to act on their own, but not to the point where I can just not watch them as they act, I guess. And so I'm guiding them. And so I find in my adult life, 
um, I have not often had the experience of actually moving an authority like you're talking about, but I have a few times, and one that comes to mind right now uh, was when we were praying for, uh, for Stephanie Ivan, and she uh, thought that her cancer was coming back. Yeah, I remember. And we were over in the, the room over there. There were several of us uh, that were praying. I was only one of them, but I remember the sense of... Uh, uh, what you were saying of, of the splendisomai of, of just my guts turning over and the conviction that this is not right. Yeah. It is not right for her to have her cancer come back yeah. right now. And there have been many other times when I've prayed for people and I, I just, I have not had that feeling. I've, I've been asking God, hey God, you know, if it's your will, please heal that person. This was very different. This was a feeling of uh, a conviction uh, of my heart turning over inside me saying, I know the way it's supposed to be, and I think that was authority. I do too. In that situation, and, it's, and it's not something that I walk in all the time. Yeah. I can count it on you know the fingers of one hand, the times that I've ever felt that. But I think that was one example. I can tell you, I'm going away from this conversation with the community with a new revelation. I was asking the Lord, you know, the whole week and everything, but the revelation that I'm going away with is this: authority is standing in the revelation that He's given you. He gives you a revelation, that's your, that's your stamp, that's your command. And when you stand in that command and do what it is that you were supposed to do, that's standing in the authority. And that feels differently than talking plainly and clearly to people about what you think. See what I mean? It sounds like I'm going for revelation first. And, and go ahead, um, I just want to go ahead and write this down while you're doing it. This is your opportunity this week. Seek God for at least one person you can pray for. Ask him. Ask him for somebody that you can pray for this week. Would you please do this? I'm telling you, if we'll start participating in this, God will start moving and showing us. Okay? Then do so with authority. Seek God's will. And then declare it, pronounce it, speak it into being as Jesus the Word did. You, I'm referring back to Genesis there, right? God is the one who said, let there be. The Holy Spirit is the one who hovered over and made it. But it was the Word, Christ, who was the intermediary that took what was not and made it. It was everything that was made was made through him. He declared. So when we declare healing, when we declare a miracle, when we declare these things, we're doing it by revelation. God has said, speak this into existence. Not because of you thought it was a good idea, but because you got a revelation of it. See what I mean? Now I'm going to speak this into existence. I'm going to stand in that authority. And I need to declare it. I need to pronounce it. So we're going to do one more, and then we're, then we're going to have to be done and... And, and email me, send, put it on, post it on Facebook. By the way, go to my Facebook page and repost, share, but don't, don't repost it, share it for mine so that they know to get back to mine and create the thread of discussion on it. Go ahead. Oh, who was it? Who was there? Okay, Bruce is always good. Go ahead. And that's not to say I can't even see over there. The lights are such, so. When it says, I am given authority to forgive sins, it doesn't say that I have to know the dude, or, and it doesn't say that he has to ask me. So the thought that comes to mind is, when I roll my window down at the stoplight, and that guy hobbles over, and I hand him a buck, am I being arrogant or in error to hand him the buck and say, your sins are forgiven? Can I do that? I don't think I would do that unless I knew. No, I'm really being serious. 
I don't think I would do that unless, unless I knew that the Lord was telling me to do that. Otherwise, it would be me pronouncing what I would like for them. And I think what we're really learning here today is, is that's not okay. So that's, that'd be my answer. I think somebody else got a better one. I love the fact that there's still people that want to talk. I'm late again, doggone it. I need you to pray, okay? Because somehow we need to reconcile this so that we get a good conversation and I don't go late. It bothers me more than anybody else here. And you would never know that based on my behavior, okay? <laughs> Lord, in Jesus' holy prayer, reach in front of you, grab that cup.